0: Uh, We're in a series called Jesus is the answer for everything. And and again, if you missed any part of this series, I just encourage you to go back online or through social media, you know, and just kind of hear, because we think each one of these messages has actually proven the point that in all these circumstances that God brings us in life, that Jesus actually is the answer. Uh, Specifically, we've been looking through the book of uh, Colossians. It's a book in our New Testament Bibles. and, And we've been looking at the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Jesus is all supreme, all powerful. He is in charge, but he's also sufficient for our life in this one and fulfillment and purpose and all of that stuff. So to kick us off this week, um, I asked this question you know, on social media. Uh, if you could change or fix one thing about a family member, what would it be? One thing about a family member. I love how you guys are just looking at each other <laughs> right, right now. Like, this is what I'd fix about you. Jillian wrote, well, if it's my husband, then snoring for sure. Snoring for sure. Uh, some of you ladies completely understand that. Kate wrote, the phone addiction, that it would go away. Phone addiction, if that's taking place in your family. Uh, Justin wrote, if I can hear you chewing, you are no longer family to me. <laughs> I was like, that's my man. That's exactly, You I mean, stop chewing so loud. Uh, Samantha wrote, parking, my husband she had to put this, love him dearly, um, has to circle the parking lot numerous times to find that perfect parking spot, you know, and she wrote it on later. We can walk, we're healthy, we're young. Alexis wrote, if we could just eliminate all singing and clapping in the morning before coffee, that would be great. All singing and clapping before coffee. Uh, Ron wrote, if they could change their political opinions to mine. Uh, It would solve, you know, so much if people would just be doing that. My last two were my favorite. Uh, Judy wrote, put the lid on the toilet down, please. (laughs) To which Larry right underneath her wrote, put the lid on the toilet up, please. (laughs) So you see that take place. (laughs) See, in all seriousness, uh, it's in our family homes that we do love, but let's be honest, they also drive us nuts as well. Things that they say, things they do, you know, and sometimes the hardest place to actually be a follower of Christ is in our homes. It really is. It's hard, one of the hardest places. They see the warts and everything and all the good, the bad, and the ugly. So being relationships is hard and it's difficult. But one of the things that we've got to understand is that God is the one who designed relationships, especially the family. He's the one that came up with this idea of marriage. He's the one that came up with this family dynamic and how we should treat one another. And if we would just look to Jesus, he would give us a blueprint and at least help us knowing that we're going to be struggling in those relationships anyway. It just helps us so much more on this side of eternity. So let's start with this. Like I said, happy Father's Day. And here's what I know when I talk about we have Father's Day. uh, For some, this is a painful day. Uh, Maybe it's a loss of a loved one, you know, or when you grew up without a father or there was an abusive, you know, uh, or destructive, you know, relationship in your life. So we fully recognize that and we're going to try to be sensitive to that fact as we go through the scripture. But with that being said, there also are a lot of good dads, you know, out there that we do want to celebrate, we do want to honor, and we do want to bring light to. So if you are a dad in the house, can you please stand? Because we want to do nothing more than just to honor you for being a dad. You ready to stand up? Stand up. There we go. Come on. Come on. Come on, dads. <laughs> Lots of good dads. Lots of good dads. Okay, so since it's Father's Day weekend, guys, especially, you know, uh, we are a biblical church. And so we've been going through this book of Colossians verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We finished with verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. And so we've got to start with Uh, Colossians 3, verse 18, which says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. (laughs) Is there really anything more to say? I mean, (laughs) we're just here following the Bible, you know. Uh, one thing at a time, uh, you know, we'll just end on that. Gentlemen, you are welcome. Okay. We might need some context, right? We might, we might need to understand what in the world, because that literally is the verse that we start with, you know, uh, today. So let's review from last week, because it helps us understand why Paul would do that, you know, in that book of Colossians. Now, last week, we talked about that Jesus is the answer to our identity, If you're struggling with who you are, you know, you find your place in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul told us in order to find our identity in Christ, we have to take off some things, and you can read about it in the first part of Colossians chapter 3, but we've also got to put on some things, you know, in Christ, some things that will help us, because we're going to struggle with this sinful nature inside of us till we, you know, either see Jesus or he comes to get us one day. Now, here's the thing. If you're not a follower of Christ... Today is a perfect day for you because you get to sit back and you get to watch the person who brought or bribed you to a car show or something else squirm a little bit. And so it'll be fun. You get to sit back and kind of see the... Pulling the curtain back and you kind of see, you know, who's pulling the strings. You get to understand, you know, what the purpose is behind all this stuff. And maybe you might even consider, that's something I want to follow. But I will tell you that primarily what Paul addresses, again, is for those of uh, of us in the room who already identify with ourselves in Jesus Christ, who have found our identity in him. And so with that being said, last week we centered on these three verses. Colossians 3, 3. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden With Christ and God. In other words, your identity, my identity, is Jesus if you have received him and we're living for him. That's our new identity. Our old identity was ourselves or the world, whatever we think we're coming up with, whatever we think we should be in our identity. Colossians 3.11 says then in this new life, it doesn't matter. If you're a Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So he's saying whatever circumstance you find yourself in, male, female, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, you can go on and on and on, and your identity is not in those things, it is in Christ Jesus, he is all that matters. This is going to be important, because it's going to set up what we're going to talk about, which gets to verse 17 where we ended last week. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through God the Father, through him, through God the Father. So this sets the stage for what we're going to be looking for today. And here's what I can tell you. If you get nothing else out of today, hear this. Jesus is the answer to our relationships. If you have relationship struggles, problems, difficulties, challenges, Jesus actually is the answer. And so with that in mind, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Now, if you don't have a smartphone, you can always download the Bible, YouVersion app, but we also have Bibles in the back as a gift from us to you, because not all of the scriptures will be on screen. There'll be a few that will not be, and I want you to see it with your own eyes. And so as you're turning there, I don't want you to miss this. Paul is going to walk through some common relationships. He's going to talk about wives and husbands. He's going to talk about children and parents. He's going to talk about fathers, and we're going to end with that, fathers and kids. This is what he addresses in this passage. He's also going to talk about slaves and and masters, which I want to get to in just a second, But what I want you to focus on is notice this is not a comprehensive list, if you read this passage, of everything we're supposed to do in relationships. Paul, which I never saw this before, a staff member brought it to my attention this week, Paul is only going to address the area in these relationships that we struggle with. So he's going to address the heart. And we know these are generalities, but I think you can see that even though something was written a few thousand years ago That's still for us, it still applies today. So that's going to be new for some of you because I know it's brand new for me. That that all of a sudden it was eye-opening that wait a minute, Paul is only addressing the struggles that we have when it comes to some of these relationships. And so uh, one of the things that we've got to understand is that context is key. So he's going to spend a good chunk of this passage talking about slaves and masters and masters and slaves. And so we've got to understand the context. Let me give you one of them. Yeah, many of you do not know who it is. Remember, they didn't have email, they didn't have all that kind of stuff. Who it is that actually took the handwritten, you know, letter from Rome to the church in Colossae. Because this helps understand why Paul would spend so much time on the slaves to masters subject. It's a guy by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus was actually given two letters from Paul to deliver. One was to the church in Colossae. And the other was to a guy by the name of Philemon, which you find in our New Testament as well. Onesimus was a runaway slave who came to Christ, was used by God in amazing ways in Paul's ministry and life. And Paul now is sending him back to Philemon via Colossae to take it back to his former slave owner. And so he's going to say some things as it deals with slaves and masters, especially in Colossians, that he doesn't address as much in Ephesians or in some of the other books. And so with that in mind, that's one of the contexts, we'll get to more in just a second. What would slaves tend to struggle with when it came to their masters? All right, think about it. If you were a slave, what would be the hardest thing that you would struggle with? Obeying. Okay, obeying your earthly masters, which is why, again, Paul addresses the struggle. So in verse 22 and 23, of Colossians 3, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. It's not because they deserve it or not. Your new identity is in Jesus Christ, so he's your new master irregardless of who your master is now, which would help a slave to get through whatever circumstance or situation they might find themselves in because they're no longer serving that master anymore. They're serving God because their new identity is not as a slave, but as a follower of Jesus. So work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Jesus Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you've done for God has no favorites. God has no favorites. Now, this is an incredibly hard because the issue of slavery is that they were seen as property to the master, right? So that is the tension. That is the issue. Uh, Now, I've heard from others say something along this line. The Bible never seems to condemn slavery. And if that's what the Bible has to say, there's no way I could accept that kind of God. Thus, I will choose not to ever be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you ever had that conversation, people have actually studied and looked at it. Looks like it's one of the reasons that people say, I don't want to be a follower of Jesus Christ because they, it seems to condone slavery. Now, context is king. It's important to understand a few things. Let me give you a few a little backgrounds to this. Did you know at the time of this writing, Rome was in charge? 50 percent, 50 percent of the known world underneath Roman rule at that time were slaves. Every time they conquered a people, they became slaves. So half of the population is slaves. So it might be important for Paul to address them if they find themselves in this situation. Now, slavery, we have a mind and an image of what that looks like in America. It wasn't quite that way in that time frame. Some ways it was worse, some ways it was better. If 50% of the population were slaves, they didn't all work in the fields and they didn't all work in the homes. In fact, to, to empower Rome to become who Rome thought that they were supposed to become, if you had an engineering background, you would be a slave as an engineer. If you were a lawyer, you'd be a lawyer. If you were you know, a dentist, you'd be a dentist. You know, all under the rule of Roman occupation, thus being a slave. Even though you're gonna have some freedoms, that is where you found yourself. Secondly, the point of this writing is not for Paul to talk about all the injustice of the world. The point of this writing that he's going to address, not just here, but men and women and children and fathers, is to say, if you find yourself here, doesn't make it right, Right, right. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's the right thing it's supposed to be in, but how do you respond? That's what he's addressing. How do I focus on Christ in the midst of my circumstance? So when things go good or bad in our lives, we remember our circumstance and message to focus on Christ. Lastly, remember at the time of this writing, Christians... We're under heavy persecution, so again, the message of Christ and spreading the gospel was more, way more important than social injustice and awareness, because they were just trying to survive just by telling people about Jesus. Again, context is king. Now, don't read also what's not in there. In other words, Paul is not saying that slavery is okay, which we'll actually get to in a moment. And prove otherwise. Go back to verse eleven. He's saying, if you're a Jew, Gentile. Barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free, Christ is all that matters. So that's what he's pointing to. That's right, we got the first amen. Remember, this is a church where you can actually respond to the speaker. It is okay to speak up in church as appropriate. Don't just yell things, that's weird. You know, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. So uh, again, for us then, because most of us in this room have never encountered or experienced slavery firsthand. So to contextualize a little bit to our situation, for us, whatever authority you find yourself under, you work and you respond as if it's Jesus Christ. That's our response. Whatever authority you find yourself under. And so modern day, this would be our schools, our jobs, and our government. Uh, for example, uh, many of you could, if you chose to, and maybe many of you have, maybe I have as well, you could cut corners if the boss isn't looking right? Uh, You you could do enough to get by. But what if your boss was Jesus Christ? What would you do differently? See, one of the hopes is after today, you would go back to work tomorrow and irregardless, but my boss is a bad boss. He doesn't treat me fair. Well, as long as you are choosing to be underneath that authority and you've not found a different job, you're not working for that boss. You're not working for that company. You're working for the Lord. And so if you're working for the Lord, then it makes a little bit of a difference on how we should conduct ourselves and do things with quality and effort. That's what he's saying there. Those of you who are students, I know you just got out of school, but I can't tell you how many students I hear, that teacher's terrible. Oh my gosh, they give so much homework. They're so strict or they're so relaxed and they don't know what they're talking about. What if that teacher that you thought was so terrible, you placed in your mind that that teacher is actually Jesus Christ? How would you respond differently? See, it's not about the teacher, it's about your faith in responding to whoever that teacher is. So my prayer is that you would, you would remember that as you go into the fall. And what about our government, right? It does not matter. For some of you, you get so excited in whether there's an R in front of a name or a D in front of the name. It does not matter. Christ is all that matters, which is why later it says, submit to your governing authorities. Now, obviously, if it's contrary to God's word, that's a whole different discussion, but when it comes to authority, are we praying for, we lifting, are we submitting, are we leading in the ways that would honor Jesus Christ? That's the point that Paul is trying to make because Jesus is the answer to our relationships. Now, one last side note before we move on. One of the things that we need to identify and be honest with the fact is that white men and women in our country took, use this passage and these verses as a Reason why they could own and treat slaves in the way they did. Here's what I can honestly tell you it is a complete misuse of this text. And when we have friends of a different skin color than we are, don't experience and understand from our standpoint, we still need to say that wasn't right, it isn't right, and it should never be right according to Scripture. Amen? Amen? That's what it's about. So now, we get to switch it. Masters to slaves. Masters to slaves. What would masters tend to struggle with? What do you think? Equality, right? The hardest thing for a master to struggle with is that, wait a minute, my slave is absolutely 100% equal in statue and significance and that kind of stuff before God and before man. So in Colossians 4 verse 1, Paul says this, masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Now think about how revolutionary this would have been to the masters in in modern day Rome, in Rome at that time. Grant your slaves two things, justice, what is right, fairness, what is equal. That's what he's saying there. And this is the value masters are being asked to do. And so what does Paul think justice and fairness looks like? Well, we find out in the book of Philemon, all right, this is where people think, well, the Bible never condemns. Here's what we find out. If you read the book of Philemon, it's only one chapter long in your New Testaments, you'll find out Onesimus took this letter back to Philemon. In the letter from Paul, he tells Philemon, this guy has come to Christ. He is a fellow brother and worker of the Lord. Treat him as such. In fact, as you read on, set him free. Now, Paul doesn't make him do it, but he, but he does manipulate a little bit. Sometimes you, you think, you know, these people don't. Paul actually says these words in Philemon. Hey, Philemon, by the way, uh, you owe me your soul or your life. But if you don't want to set him free, that's fine. Whatever you and God, you know, you're fine with. But remember, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be connected to God in the first place. You know, so you can see he's like, he's like digging in because he understands the value that Onesimus has before God and before Philemon. This is one of the examples of what the Bible thinks about slavery. So for us, how do we contextualize? Treat those who we have authority over with justice and fairness in Jesus' name. So those of you who are employers, who have employees, you might be shift managers or leads or you own your own company. You know, that, how are you treating people who technically have less authority and responsibility than you? Do you treat them with justice and with fairness? Or do you treat them differently? You know, those of you teachers with your students, how do we treat them? Those of you coaches with athletes, how do we treat them with justice and fairness as unto Jesus? Because Jesus is the answer to our relationships. See, now it gets fun, okay? Masters, slaves, so we're talk about that. Now, wives to husbands, okay? What, what do wives tend to struggle with? submission. Oh, the favorite word, submission. Submitting to their husbands. So Colossians 3.18, as we already mic dropped, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. So again, if you're not connected to the Lord, the same rules don't apply. Now, what I hear so often from gals is, I would if he would finally step up and be the leader that he's supposed to be. Or I would, you know, if he would finally be a good man, et cetera, et cetera. Or I hear from wives, yeah, my husband has used this verse to try to control or get his way because he knows I'm a follower of Christ, that he says, woman, you must submit because I said so and I'm the man and the Bible says so, so submit to me. So you have both planes, but both people don't understand the word submission. It's like one of those negative words in our culture and it shouldn't be. Do you realize that the word submit literally means to willingly place yourself under someone else's leading or authority. The key word, willingly. It's a choice. You know, Paul is encouraging ladies to make that choice irregardless of your husband. And we're gonna talk about that in just a second. It's not a value statement. It doesn't make somebody better or less than because it's your free choice and will to do it. Nobody's making you. So to prove this point, Paul actually emphasizes in Ephesians chapter 5, mutual submission. So he doesn't say, okay, well, wives, you're not supposed to love your husbands. You're only supposed to submit. Or husbands, you're not supposed to submit to your wives. You're only supposed to love. That's not what he says. Remember, he's only focusing on what we tend to struggle with the most. Because in Ephesians 5, it says, and further, Paul says, submit to one another out of your identity and reverence to Christ. So that's the mutual submission in a marriage relationship he's talking about. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, wives, you do realize there is a desire. And then again, these are all generalities I understand. So don't send me the one-off emails. I get it. You know, We don't have time to go through the whole list. He's only talking about the little things we struggle with. Okay, if I got that off my chest. Okay, so ladies... You know, uh, do you realize that there is a desire based on the consequence of sin that first gave birth in the Garden of Eden that actually proves that this is going to be a struggle? Do you realize that out of Eve, this consequence took place in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16? And you will desire to control your husband. Ladies, do you ever desire to control your husband? <laughs> right? Some of you thought, I'm gonna get married and finally I'm gonna fix him, you know, and he's gonna do this, I'm gonna make him do this and I'm so frustrated, you know, emotionally and otherwise why he won't do what I want him to do. Now, understand this, ladies, husbands, over time, if you try to control, will abdicate leadership in certain areas in in your home. He'll just abdicate it. he'd rather sit and be like, fine, you just take control, I don't wanna deal with this. Unfortunately, then what happens is a work spouse takes place. In other words, work becomes the spouse. Why? Because a husband will tend to go to work and feel esteemed, respected, looked up to, talked well about, and they'll kind of puff up their chest and be like, man, I'm getting all of this emotional connection from doing work which I'm not getting at home. I mean, it's not that I don't dislike my home or dislike my wife. I'll just abdicate to her since she wants to control, control, control. Now, if the danger though goes even a step further that in a work environment, if he comes across ladies who begin to esteem him and love him, there's a thing called an emotional affair that can begin to take place. Because all of a sudden, here's these other ladies in his life that's being like, man, you are such a, such a good worker. Your wife must be blessed to have you as her husband. All these things, and he starts thinking. Process is, yeah, yeah, she is blessed to have me as her husband. You know, not realizing how you actually act at home, you know, it's a different maybe than how you acted, at, you know, in the office area. And so it's not to say that it gives him excuse for any of these things. I'm just saying that this is a tendency that guys will gravitate towards hobbies and works to find fulfillment that they may not be receiving emotionally from their spouses at home. So wives, take initiative in your husband's life to respect and help him, not make him, help him be all that God wants him to be. So one of these things is like speak well of him, encourage him, pray for him, support him, and submit to him. And so you see this take place all the time. If you Find that one thing. I know it could be hard, but center in on that one thing that he does well. And if you verbalize that to him genuinely, all of a sudden he'll go from like this in the home to, oh, okay, yeah, kind of like that. If you take it a step further and actually genuinely compliment him in front of other people and peers, he'll go from here to, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. You know, all of a sudden he's respected, he's esteemed, he's uplifted. Don't ever tear him down in public. Don't do it. That's a private conversation because that'll deflate him faster than anything. And you won't feel sadness, you'll feel anger, zero to 100. And so I'm just trying to help you out in these relationships. Now, what if he doesn't deserve it, Dan? What if he's not a good husband? Now, I'm not talking about abuse, I'm not talking about over the line stuff, I'm just talking about in general. You know, he's just not great. You know, here's what I can tell you. You're not doing it because of him. Again, Paul is addressing because of Christ, you do that. You're not serving your husband, you're serving Jesus Christ. And when you start visualizing that way, then it's a game changer because now it's not predicated on what he does or doesn't do, it's predicated on your love and connection to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right, husbands, you're up. Wives, kick back to wives. What do husbands de- tend to struggle with? It gets all quiet. <laughs> what, what husbands tend to struggle with the most when it comes to husbands and wives is loving their wives. It's the main thing to struggle with. I'll, I'll make a point in just a second. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. In other words, do not verbally assault them. Beat them down with your quick wit and sarcasm to the point that you just deflate them. Ephesians 5.25 says it this way. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Now here's why this is the struggle. Because guys, there is a tendency, in generalities, there is a tendency that you would rather provide for than spend time with, than pouring into. And so it's easier for guys to fall into the trap. Well, Look what I provided for and look at this vacation we're going to go on and look at these things. Look at the work projects around the house and look at the other things that I'm able to do. And for many guys, that is so much easier than dating your spouse, wooing your spouse, you know, continuing to fill and esteem and love her. In fact, you know, men, I would say it this way, love and treat your wife like the precious treasure she is in the Lord. That word love means unconditional, endearing, kind, tender-hearted. And again, well, what if my wife doesn't deserve it? It's not about deserve. Your identity is in Christ, and you're serving Christ. When you serve and love your wife this way, you are serving and loving Jesus Christ. It helps you in relationships. Jesus is the answer to our identity. And guys, you can do this, and so can I. Here's how I know. Your wife would have never said yes if you couldn't. At some point in the relationship, you were capable of doing this, of wooing and loving to a point where she finally said yes to your lazy bum and mine, right? So she got to a point where she said, yep, you know, I'm going to do it. So there's there a point in there, and sometimes we trail off because we begin to focus on work. Jesus, again, is the answer to our relationships, amen? amen. All right, children to parents. What do children tend to struggle with the most? Obedience. Can I get an amen? Yes. Uh, oh, that was a real one. You guys really meant that one. <laughs> Colossians 3:20. Children, listen up. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Can I get another amen? Yes. There we go. It gets harder, kids. I know as you get older and older, and your parents seem to get dumber and dumber as you get older. And you're like, what's wrong with mama? Don't they understand the ways of life? Trust me eventually you get to a stage where you realize your parents get smarter and smarter again. You don't know how it happens, but it does happen. And so all, over and over, like, but I don't, I disagree with my parents, or I'm not, a, my parents irritate me. They don't let me do what I want. It's not about your parents. Again, obviously, if it's crossed the line, you know, have abuse or something like that, that's a whole different discussion. We're talking about in general family dynamics. So children, it's not about your parents. It's about your relationship with Jesus. A, a lot of times you need to ask yourself, could it be that God is trying to teach you something underneath those awful parents of yours? Could could he be trying to teach you and help you to become something that you would have a hard time becoming if you were under different parents? Even if you're a single parent, divorced family, it doesn't matter. You have an opportunity, irregardless of your family dynamic, to say, I am not serving my parents. They don't deserve it. I am serving the Lord because Jesus is my identity. He is the answer to our relationships. So then we come down to fathers to children. Fathers to children. What do fathers tend to struggle with? Strictness. Strictness. Riding our kids too hard. Riding our kids too hard. This would be aggravating, discouraging, and bittering our kids. Uh, Colossians 3.21 says it this way. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. In other words, what he's saying is fathers, on this Father's Day, don't ride your kids to the point of exhaustion. Now, are you the parent when the kid comes home with the A's and the B's and the one C that all you can tend to focus on is the C? And they just get deflated and they just get discouraged because you're emphasizing. Are you a parent where the v- father, are you have the father where the vast majority of the things that come out of your mouth are things in which your kid does wrong, needs to improve on? All of a sudden, that message begins to communicate to that child, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I can never get these things right. I see it on the sidelines all the time. You sports is ridiculous, and my kids are in it as well. Fathers, let me give you a little hint. Ain't none of your kids going to NFL. I just want to tell you that right now. None of them, okay? None of them. Now, now, Roderick has a chance at Washington State. But the rest of you, none of you got a chance. And even still, he's got an uphill battle. Here's how we know. The statistics show that you would have a greater chance of winning the lottery or getting struck by lightning than you would actually making it to the NFL, okay? So have your kids enjoy the sport. You don't have to drive them to the point of exhaustion where unfortunately you're trying to fulfill an unmet need that took place in your childhood through the life of your kids. If they love it, sure, great. Support, love, come alongside and encourage fathers i don't want you to miss this do you recognize i want you to recognize that that you have the greatest impact in the life of your child we don't like to talk about that in our culture now moms obviously nobody's saying that mom does not have authority as a mom but as dads that's the wounds that's the esteem that is missed in our culture time and time and time again so praise your kids along it doesn't mean just let them do whatever they want with discipline and training Ephesians 6, four says, bring up your children with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. You don't want to raise kids like you. Amen. <laughs> right? You're like, what? what do you mean? That's not the goal. Again, kids don't become what you teach. They become who you are. Your goal is to train them to become like Jesus, not like you. You know, so the more you can help them in the training and instruction not of Dan Shields, you know, not of, you know, Jeremy Anglin, you're not of Ben Peterson, your goal is to instruct them as unto the Lord. That's the standard, that's the goal, and we're going to mess up all the time. So thank you Lord for your grace, you know, and all of that stuff. And so as we kind of wrap up, what if I don't have a father? Or what if I have had a terrible relationship with my father? Uh, you could be the person where your father was never around. And like I said, this Father's Day is a painful experience. Or, or maybe dad was too harsh, verbally abusive, maybe even physically abusive. Uh, maybe your father is no longer here because he passed away. Uh, I, I always have a hard time a little bit, you know, with Father's Day because it's just a reminder that my father is gone. It's always He passed away right around Father's Day, June 12th. So it's been seven years, you know, now since my father passed away. What makes it harder for me is that uh, I have two brothers and they each have two wives. Nobody's father is still alive. So there's none of our kids that have a biological grandfather you know that's, that, that's around today. And that's so heartbreaking, because I know what it's like to have one. And yet, it's through God's word that we can find encouragement. God has a tendency to come in, to heal, never fully. There's some scars we're going to take all the way to eternity, but kind of fill in the gaps in our lives for he tells us in psalm 68:5 our god is a father to the fatherless a defender of widows this is our god whose dwelling is holy what you need to know is we've said over and over being a human being doesn't make you a child of god being a human being makes you created in the image of god but to become part of god's house part of his family only happens when we receive his son. For this is what it says in John 1, 12, but to all who believe Jesus, to all who accepted Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You see, Jesus is the answer to our relationships. Amen? So as we wrap up today, Which aspect of relationship do you struggle with the most? What is the one thing that God is calling you to apply? Maybe the the only thing is as as a boss to an employee or as a student to a teacher, whatever that may be. Maybe for some of you, it's a husband and wife relationship. Maybe for some of you, it's children to parents. Maybe today on this Father's Day, it's for you as a father to your kids. I don't know. I'm gonna let you and God talk about it now. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today and the opportunity to serve, to love, to be in line with you. And I pray that you would just guide our decisions, our confession, and our absolute need for your help through Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.